Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's AEW Dynamite Review Show here on the unofficial WWE Podcast. My name is Mimi Burris, and you guessed it, we are talking about last night's AEW Fighter Fest Week 2, Night 3, whatever you want to call it. We are talking about the dynamite that happened last night, and we're going to get into the main event that was eh. And we're going to talk about that great opening match and everything in between. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Sweet on Christian Cage, if you know what I mean. The AEW Women's Champion, Thunder Rosa. Nobody is on my level. The TBS Champion. The better in the world. This I want you to fire me. You. Alright everybody, I hope you've all had a great week this week and we're going to get into the show right after I quickly plug Patreon. We're going to talk about 99 cents a month or you can subscribe on iTunes as well. I never remember the cost of that, but it is cheap as well and it's a bargain for all of these shows, completely ad-free. Go check it out. If you're not a patron already, if you're not subscribed already, you're missing out on exclusive content and all these shows ad-free. I don't know what you're doing. Alright, though, now that that is out of the way, we can talk about Dynamite last night. And you know what, guys? This is what Dynamite kind of felt like for me. It was kind of like, have you ever had an open-faced sandwich? You know, there's, there's, I have a deep hatred in my heart for open-faced sandwiches because what the fuck is the point of an open-faced sandwich? It's not a sandwich. It's just stuff on bread. Uh, just don't call it a sandwich if it's not a sa- I don't know. My point is, is AEW recently, not recently so much as just in general for a while now, and specifically last night as a great example, it's kind of like an open face sandwich because you got the bread, you got all the good stuff going on, but you can't have a sandwich without the top piece of bread and the ending and the main event and whatever you want to call it. And the first hour of Dynamite lately has been great. The first hour of Dynamite is almost always great. It's the second hour that they really, really struggle with, and that was just uh, the same on this episode of Dynamite that we're going to talk about here, Fighter Fest Week 2. Opening match, Darby Allen, Brody King. Unbelievable. Uh, a grudge match, as they called it. We had Darby Allen coming out straight away with a shotgun drop kick, and then trying to do a uh, suicide dive. However, it got caught up in the ropes, and uh, Brody King caught him as well. Chucked him into the barricades over and over and over again. Uh, when we came back outside the ring, Darby Allen takes his leather belt off, wraps it around Brody King's ankles, pulls him out of the ring, uh, hits a suicide dive that looked absolutely incredible, hits with a coffin drop, tries for another coffin drop, gets blocked, and uh, gets tied up in the tree or whoa. Uh, Brody King tries to hit the cannonball, however, he misses because uh, Darby Allen dodges it. And then later on, Brody King does get to his feet, flips into the turnbuckles with Brody, uh, excuse me, with Darby Allen on his back, essentially hitting an even better, essentially hitting a sandwich of a uh, of a cannonball there to uh, Darby Allen. Uh, however, uh, later on in the match, we had Brody King doing the call back to the Rampage, Royal Rampage thing, Majiggy, where he chokes out Darby Allen and Darby Allen drops him. Darby Allen gets back in before the 10 count right at 9, and basically Brody King looks at him like, you are absolutely insane, so I'm going to hit you with the Gonzo Bomb, and pins Darby Allen, and... Uh, and we are going to get into the entire aftermatch of the show as well, but I want to quickly credit AEW's website for the notes on giving me uh, the ability to recap on this show as well. 
But yeah, this match itself, guys, was absolutely incredible, I thought. Uh, it was really just a murdering of uh, Darby Allen. And you know when you... We, when you listen to a podcast or when you read something or when you see something, just talking about a match and you can vividly image the spots, vividly image. You can have a vivid image of the spots in your head. You can play it back in your head. That's when you know something stuck with you. And this match stuck with me. I'm going to remember this match for a while. It was a brilliant squash match. And that's really what it was. It was a squash match because although Darby Allen got a little bit of offense in, for the most part, Brody King dominated. And why wouldn't he? Darby Allen is the size. I, pr- I probably weigh more than Darby Allen. That's not true. But uh, it's probably pretty close. And uh, Brody King is, you know, about four times the size of Darby Allen. And, of course, he's going to absolutely demolish him. And it was, I love the homage to the uh, Royal Rampage thing with the choke out. That Gonzo bomb, though. That Gonzo bomb looked even worse than the suicide dive that Darby Allen threw earlier in the match. That Gonzo bomb looked like he broke his body in half. Like, I don't know how he didn't break his neck on that move. And you heard Taz on commentary saying, you know, like, uh, I don't know, I've broken my neck before and, and that just gave me bad flashbacks. And yeah, I had the same thought. Darby Allen must do a lot of yoga, a lot of something in order to contort his body the way it does. Just the way he was getting thrown around into the steel, ba- the steel barricades as well. Looked absolutely intense and awful, honestly. So I give Darby Allen all the credit in this match as well. Brody King, yes, did the damage, but Darby Allen was the one who was taking these incredible bumps. So I really, really enjoyed this first match on Dynamite. And then we had the post-match as well, where we had uh, Brody King beating down Darby Allen again, putting him in the sleeper once again. Uh, then we had Sting come out, go for the Scorpion Death Drop. Apparently hit the Scorpion Death Drop, but we did not see it because the lights went out. And who would appear but Malachi Black face-to-face with Sting. Such a cool image. Really awesome. Men with face paint looking at each other in the eyes. Just really an awesome image. And then we had, uh, obviously, we hit Miro's music after the beatdown on Sting to come out and make the save. But he didn't really make the save. He just kind of stood there. He had sunglasses on. He looked great because, you know, we have black mist eye stuff going on. And, yeah, that was the end of the segment. And the Redeemer coming out, just making the save by being there. Talk about being a Redeemer. Talk about being a badass. Doesn't have to do anything but just stands there and... uh Looked at Brody King, whispered to Malachi Black, what do, you, what do you think he wants? And you know what? I'm curious to know, too. Do you think he's going to join the uh, House of Black? Do you think he's going to have a nice six-man with Sting Darby Allen versus the House of Black? Where is Buddy Matthews? God knows. Haven't seen him in a couple weeks. Hope he's okay. Hope everything's going well with him. No personal issues, no injuries, no anything. Yeah, I'm curious to know what is next for this whole storyline, and they've got me intrigued for sure. And whether it's Miro joining the House of Black, I'd love to see what they do with that, or whether it's we're getting this six-man tag match. I am intrigued either way. So, all right, next up we had another match. We had Best Friends Chuck Taylor and Trent Beretta versus uh, the Blackpool Combats Club, AEW Interim World Heavyweight Champion John Moxley and Wheeler Yuta. And yeah, overall, this was a really evenly fought competition, I thought. Really evenly matched match. Uh, Orange Cassidy and William Regal on commentary. Orange Cassidy was great on commentary. He said about two things the entire time. But yeah, Moxley and Trent started off this match. And then we had Wheeler Yuta and Chuck Taylor. We had a little back and forth between them. And then they showed Daniel Garcia watching from backstage. Not doing the typical WWE thing, but almost doing it where he's standing all weird, angled like... um, 
But yeah, just standing there watching his Saturday competitor. I'm so excited for that match, guys. I can't tell you I'm so excited for this pay-per-view on Saturday night. It looks so good. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. But then we had Moxley back in the ring doing the kicking thing, getting a near fall off a cutter. Uh, and then uh, Chuck Taylor comes in, spikes Moxley, uh, and then Trent, Trent hits Wheeler Yuta with the pile driver, gets a near fall. There was a uh, strong zero attempt by Wheeler Yuta, but it was countered with the German suplex, and then uh, they hit the double pile driver thing for a near fall. Wheeler Yuta kicks out. I was not a fan of that, the double pile driver and a kick out. Uh, yeah, that, that got me a little bit. I was thinking, that's twice you're getting dropped on your neck and your head. Darby Allen, I know it was an incredible gonzo bomb, power bomb look. Excuse me, I'm saying power bomb, I mean pile driver. Um, it was an incredibly strong looking pile driver, but Wheeler Yuta getting hit with two and then being unable to kick out while Darby Allen earlier on in the show got hit with one was not able to kick out. Doesn't look so good for Darby Allen, this, you know, heroic baby face. And, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Darby Allen, but I definitely think he deserves a little bit more than that. And I think Wheeler Yuta and the whole tough guy thing is really, really great. Don't get me wrong. I love the Blackpool Combat Club. I love the whole thing they're going for. But, like, them training the necks or whatever is not enough an excuse for me to kick out of two pile drivers back to back. I just think it's unrealistic and it took me out of the moment here. Like, really took me out of the moment. I know it seems like I'm grabbing onto something small and making it, uh, making a mountain out of a mohill, but really it took me out of the whole uh, immersion of the match because I'm supposed to believe that this is a simulated sport and if I got dropped twice on my head, I know I'd be dead. So I'd assume that one of these guys would uh, be able to be put down for a pinfall for three. And, and I'm not saying that the best friend should have won here. I just don't think they should have done the spot. Uh, but then we have Yuta grabbing a guillotine choke on Chuck Taylor. And outside the ring, we had uh, John Moxley putting Trent in the figure four. Uh, Chuck Taylor ends up being able to counter with a uh, suplex. And then uh, Chuck goes for uh, goes for something and... Um, Wheeler Yuta puts him in the seatbelt pin, which looked awesome, by the way. Those transitions were absolutely smooth, incredible, perfect, flawless. Uh, really can't put that over enough, that ending sequence in the pinfall on Chuck Taylor. And then we hear Orange Cassidy on commentary saying something along the lines of Chuck taught him that pin. And, um, and my heart broke a little bit, you guys. Like, that got me. That got my emotions there. Uh, I felt bad for Chuck Taylor and Trent and, and, uh... And Chuck, I don't know, I remember, if I, Chuck Taylor, Trent, and Orange Cassidy there in Best Friends, I felt bad that they lost their guy that they trained so hard with, apparently. And um, I'm really happy Wheeler Yuta is in Blackpool Combat Club. I think it's the right place for him. I think the kickout was a little excessive. But uh, although they played the heels in this match, I really felt the sympathy for the Best Friends after this. So this got me feeling emotions throughout the match. Although, like I said, I didn't like that one spot still. I would still give this a, a, a high rating because the guys all worked their butts off for sure. Kicked the crap out of each other. Hit some really cool moves. The f- stories in this match between Best Friends and Chuck Taylor, especially in Wheeler Yuta going back and forth, was really interesting. And then we had, like, protective John Moxley, who was beating the crap out of Best Friends whenever they got their hands on Wheeler Yuta. I thought that was a really good story beat as well. So, uh, without, like, uh, with with both underlying stories going on in the match, much more to great moves, this definitely got the crowd engaged. This is awesome chance. Like, 100% was really awesome uh, as I'm watching it. I knew that in my head. But subjectively, 
I just didn't really enjoy it that much. Like, I, you know when you know you're watching good wrestling, but you just don't enjoy it? And I don't want to be honest on this podcast always, so that's just how I felt. And like I said, there was nothing wrong with this. I just didn't emotionally connect until the end when I heard Orange Cassidy say that uh, Chuck taught him that pin. None of the stuff really got me as much as uh, as I think it got everybody else, which is just a subjective opinion, and I know the difference between the objective opinion and everybody was super into this match, so I have to, like I said, give it a high rating. It, it definitely didn't do anything wrong, and it was definitely really uh, immersive in the stories that they were trying to tell. However, for me, it just didn't necessarily do it for some reason. Uh, but nonetheless, next we had the AEW World Tag Team Championship celebration with Swerve and our glory. Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee uh, came out. There was cake and champagne there for him. Uh, Swerve says that his man Kevin Gates is in the uh, in the ring, or excuse me, not in the ring, in the arena, and uh, they do some kind of promo thing with this rapper guy. I, I, I'm supposed to be young and hip, guys. I don't even know who Kevin Gates is. Uh, and then Keith Lee talks about some deluxe album or something, takes his jacket off, shows his new Keith Swerve in Our Glory shirt. But I don't know why that was some big reveal, because I think Swerve was wearing the same shirt, but whatever. Uh, nonetheless, uh, we had Smart Mark Sterling come out with um, Tony Nese. <sighs> this is where things went a little downhill. Um, I understand the promotion they had to do, like, they have to be mainstreamy and whatever else. So I got all that. It wasn't for me the whole rapper thing. I liked when they did I liked what they did with Giannis Antetokounmpo a while. Although they cut to him about 50,000 times during that Ray Phoenix match. Uh, I think it was actually Ray Phoenix and Penta versus somebody I don't remember who was in the match, but they cut to them we cut to him about 5,000 times, but I preferred what they did there to this. This was a little bit too grabby for me. Uh, however, nonetheless, like I said, Smart Mark Sterling and Tony Nese came out, interrupts the ceremony. It uh, tries to get Kevin Gates to sign the petition um, for Swerve Strickland to be fired from uh, AEW, which is stupid in itself. And you know what? Let's talk about that for a minute. Why are they trying to have a petition to fire Swerve Scott? Like, what what's going to happen here? I, I know they're supposed to be heels and they're supposed to be crazy, but there needs to be some kind of logic attached to this. What? They're going to get some petition signed. He's going to bring it to Tony Khan. Tony Khan's going to say, you know what? You're right. You got enough guys to sign this. I'm going to fire this guy. For for what? For First of all, if I were Swerve, I would sue if I got fired from that. Uh, for you know, whatever you sue for getting fired unlawfully. But like, uh, anyways. Anyways. Uh, Kevin Gates does not sign the petition. So he tells him his music sucks. Kevin Gates punches Sterling in the face. And then, or excuse me, punches Niece in the face. And then Sterling gets a cake from the fa- or to the face from uh, Swerve Strickland. And you know what? The cake shot looked good. It was a good cake shot. I'll give him that. It was, but this whole thing was very WWE. It was very sports entertainment-y. It wasn't... From the minute they said championship celebration, I was like, huh, that's not very like AEW. But um, the one thing that did make it a little bit better was uh, Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland's facial expressions and the little corners of the camera and looking at the camera and doing the wink-wink hint, hint and whatever, like... That was that was nice, and it looked like they were having a good time, and they're happy, and I don't ever want to poo-poo on anybody's joy. I don't know why I said it like, poo-poo-poo, poo-poo on anybody's joy, wee-wee, poo-poo on anybody's joy. Uh, and they looked happy, and I'm happy for them, and you know what? I'm really excited for this title reign. I hope they do really great things. I think they're going to have a really... Uh, a bunch of really cool matches. I love watching Swerve Strickland in the ring. I think he has such an unorthodox style. I think it's so interesting to watch. And when he has the right dance partner, it really is an exciting match, almost always guaranteed. So I'm excited for this whole title reign. And uh, and I'm not going to 
be so glum on this for too long. I just thought this wasn't this wasn't a good segment, and this is kind of where started things started to go downhill for me. Next up, we had a backstage segment between Alex Reynolds and John Silver and the Butcher and the Blade, where they tried to give them butch shirts, and then the Butcher and the Blade beat the crap out of them, and then Hangman Page came and made the save. And you know what, guys? This was just bad. This was just bad. This was just trying to make a story out of nothing. We don't always need a story behind a match. Very simply, you can just have competitive tag team matches or competitive singles matches or competitive women's matches. Like, you don't always need a story. These people are supposed to be fighting for titles and they want the tag team titles. We just have new tag team champions. Why would you not just have, like, exhibition matches? And that, maybe that word's not the best because that usually means a little bit more friendly. But competitive matches to go up the rankings, that's the reason for the match. Not because there has to be some weird story and angle behind absolutely every single freaking match. And then, why? This is where Hangman Page is right now? This is how far Hangman Page has fallen? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't hear... I think... I think that you can be a mid-card guy after being a uh, world champion for a little while and be okay, but the, this crappy, fake, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Contrived things is where Hangman Page has gotten to. These contrived stories, be- beatdowns backstage for no, like, why, why did this even exist? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if they were supposed to be, like, uh, making fun of the Butcher and the Blade or what the deal was, but it wasn't funny, so... All right, speaking of not funny, Varsity Blondes and Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman Jr. Excuse me, Varsity Blondes, Griff Garrison and Brian Pillman Jr. versus Christian Cage and Luchasaurus. I don't know why I said speaking of not funny. This is fine. This has nothing to do with anything. But, uh, yeah, real quick, uh, Varsity Blondes tried to charge at Luchasaurus. Griff Garrison did get some forearms in, but uh, for the most part, Christian Cage tagged out right away in the match. Luchasaurus did all the work, and then Christian Cage tagged back in, made the pinfall, and really, the story of this whole thing was the aftermatch. But you guys know, I have a sick, I get a sick pleasure of watching Brian Pillman get the crap beat out of him. And I don't know what it is. I bet he's a really nice guy. And I have no problems with him. He just has a punchable face. And that mullet. Just, I don't feel that way about Griff I don't feel that way as much about Griff Garrison. And I, I don't know what it is. There's, I just want to watch him get black masked in the head. I just, I don't know what it is. I do not know. But I subjectively really enjoyed this, and that's exactly why. Uh, but the post-match, we had Luchasaurus picking up Christian Cage on his shoulders like he does with Jungle Boy. And then Tarzan music hits. Here comes Jungle Boy. And what I thought was kind of a... Maybe I just didn't hear it as much. It sounded more like a dull reaction to me in comparison to what, the pop you'd think you would have gotten six weeks or so away. Uh, maybe I was just not listening properly or something. But he walks out with the steel chair... And uh, Luchasaurus comes out to the ring, stands there in between Christian Cage and Jungle Boy, and then Luchasaurus steps aside for Jungle Boy, who chases Christian Cage out of the arena. I have questions, you guys. I mean, I don't know if this was the right time to make the return yet. I think we could have gone for a few more weeks without Jungle Boy. We have a lot of time to build all out. Um, So I I think we could have gone a little while longer without Jungle Boy returning. But I'm happy to see him back and happy to see that he is clearly medically cleared to compete. Or I assume they wouldn't have put him on television. But uh, yeah, and Smart comes out with a chair. He's not a stupid babyface. He's a smart babyface. But my question is, I guess, is, is... 
what what was this whole Luchasaurus thing? If he was just going to quickly turn on Christian Cage like that. I want to know more. Why did Christian Cage have control over him? I didn't really get this vibe. And I felt like there was even more of a pop when Luchasaurus stepped aside. So maybe it was for that reason. But was this all a ruse on Jungle Boy and Christian Cage? I mean, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus's part? Did they plan something? How could they have known? I don't know what the heck this was. But uh, it they can definitely recover from this I think in this feud because this is going to be an amazing match and a really great feud I really believe this is one of the highlights leading up to the pay-per-view this story has been great however this was kind of a misstep for me uh yeah I think things need to be explained a little bit more not a lot of this made sense and maybe I'm just don't maybe I'm missing something and if I'm missing something please tweet me on the tweeter at Mimi Burris let me know uh what I'm missing here because this didn't make a lot of sense to me so uh, next up, we had the FTW Championship Open Challenge. Ricky Starks versus Cole Carter, formerly Two Dimes of NXT 2.0. Sorry, Zach, we're stealing all the good ones from you. Um, I say that sarcastically, subtly. Uh, but yeah, this was a fairly quick match. We had did have a commercial break, but uh, really this was uh, Ricky Starks getting the win. A little bit of a showcase for Ricky Starks. People really didn't like Cole Carter because Ricky Starks is just so clearly over. It is time for the babyface turn for this guy, but it doesn't seem like they're going down that route because he's having a match against Danhausen next week on um, AEW Dynamite Fight for the Fallen. So uh, the crowd really seemed to want to see that match as well, but uh, I'm excited for that next week, and and we'll get into that, I guess, more next week. This really wasn't much to talk about. The match was all right. Uh, Like I said, it really didn't seem to do the job it intended to do because Ricky Starks was so over. But um, good for Cole Carter to get on Dynamite. Hopefully we see more of him down the line. He's a good-looking guy. Uh, Didn't really show much promise here, but I'm sure there is more to him than, uh, than just this match. So... Uh, but yeah, he did not show up and show out, and this it just wasn't really that great. Um, uh, we hear from FTR, Dex Harwood, and Cash Wheeler ahead of their two out of three fall match with the two out of three falls match with Briscoes at uh, Ring of Honor Death Before Dishonor. Uh, this promo was unbelievable. Dex Harwood talking about his daughter and how he's gonna fight like an eight year old girl uh, at the pay per view. Uh, just. I won't be able to do it any credit. Really, really good stuff. Um, and then we had Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and Satnam Singh backstage being interviewed. Uh, Christopher Daniels comes and interrupts, and we're going to have that match. We already knew that was happening, so that was pointless. And then we had the It's the Quarter Hour, and you know what that means, you guys. Athena and Willa Nightingale versus the TBS champion Jade Cargill and Kira Hogan. Sadly, no Chris Statlander. Uh... I think one of the other members of the other team was injured. One of the baddies was injured or something along those lines or couldn't compete. But really, I probably would have gone with Athena and Chris Statlander here, not Willow Nightingale. Maybe they're just saving the interaction between Chris Statlander and Jade Cargill, considering they don't seem to ever put freaking Chris Statlander on television anymore, which is baffling because she was getting so over. I, I don't know what this is all about. Uh, but yeah, this match was what it was. It started off slow, but they really picked it up. Willow Nightingale heading an awesome flipping senton into Jade and Kira Hogan on the outside. That was a high point of the match. Uh, the big kick, big boot to Athena was another big part of the match. Uh, Athena hitting Jade with double knee stomp Meteora. And then we got uh, a powerbomb to Kira Hogan as well. That was really good. Uh, so yeah, for the most part, I thought this was a good match. They really got there in the end, but they didn't, uh, 
they really had to get the fans into it because we've been trained not to care about the women's matches. And, you know, what else is new? I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. It's the quarter hour, and you know what that means. So, yeah, good to see Willow Nightingale, though. I would have gone with Kira. I mean, I would have gone with Athena and Chris Statlander in this. But, uh, and I do really, let's just get to the point. Are we going to have it at the pay per view, maybe? Is uh, Chris Statlander versus Jade Cargo? But AEW has a problem with getting to the point already. Um, but let's get to the point here on the AEW Review Podcast and talk about the main event that was the barbed wire death match. We had Eddie Kingston versus Chris Jericho, or as may I say, the pain maker Chris Jericho. Um, yeah, we have everybody locked away in a shark cage, hoisted over the ring, and Ruby Soho being the keeper of the shark cage as well. Uh, Jericho comes out, uh, and Floyd is wrapped in barbed wire, and then Kingston, real quick, right away, I did love, I did love that the barbed wire everywhere match, the microphone was wrapped in barbed wire, and so was the ring bell, I thought that was really great, uh, Kingston comes out, grabs the barbed wire microphone from Justin Roberts, and goes right after Jericho, drawing blood right off the back, real quick, biting down, punching on his forehead, I love Eddie Kingston sells punches. Like, when he punches a closed fist, he, like, shakes his fist out. Like, yeah, when you punch someone, it hurts. So, like, sell that. And when you get punched, it hurts. I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate when wrestlers get punched in the gut, punched in the stomach or whatever, and just keep doing what they're doing and just ignore the fact that they just got punched in the stomach. That hurts. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Darby Allen and you're punching Brody King. Those punches hurt. They are punches. Have you ever been punched? I haven't, but I assume it hurts. Uh, Then we had uh, Kingston hip-tossing Jericho into the barbed wire ring ropes, uh, and then that looked brutal, like really brutal. Chris Jericho, I mean, getting his face grinded in the barbed wire, Eddie Kingston throwing Chris Jericho uh, onto the, uh, excuse me, hitting Chris Jericho with the steel chair wrapped in barbed wire, Mm -hmm. suplexing Jericho onto the table outside of the ring through barbed wire, uh, this was not great, and then right as we're getting into the match, and 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 things are finally kind of picking up, and this was this was good to this point. Everything started to go downhill from here, because first we had Ty Conti coming down, beating up Ruby Soho. Ruby Soho no selling the fact that her hand is supposedly broken, just punching Ty Conti anyways. And this is what I was talking about. This is what I'm talking about, you guys. Punching somebody hurts. You don't do it with a broken hand, Ruby Soho. And then Anna Jay coming out to supposedly make the save, except then she basically throws uh, Ty Conti out of the way and says, this is how I'm going to beat her up now, actually, because you weren't beating her up the correct way, so now I'm going to beat her up. Beats up Ruby Soho. The two of them uh, beat down uh, terrible worked punches, especially by Ty Conti. Like, really, really bad stuff. Really bad. Unforgivable work punches. Um, Shane McMahon-style stuff, guys. Like, not pretty. Um... And then the Jericho Appreciation Society is let out of the shark cage by Ty Conti and Eddie King. Excuse me, Ty Conti and not Eddie Kingston. That would be really weird that he did that. Ty Conti and Anna Jay. And then uh, they get involved. This all becomes a big hoopla. Then we get the rest of the guys from the Blackpool Combat Club, etc. come out. They all go bang, bang, punch, punch. The whole shenanigans. Everything's everywhere. Long story go away, Sammy Guevara gets the uh, interference, and then Jericho is able to, after after kicking out of Eddie Kingston's finisher, nonetheless, after kicking out of Eddie Kingston's finisher, the backhand, hits the Judas effect, one Judas effect, and gets the pinfall. 
This had Chris Jericho's fingerprints all over it. And I hope to God Eddie Kingston is in the back, you know, B-I-T-C-H-I-N-G and complaining about this because he 100% deserves to be. This was a mess and it became a mess real quick and it had all the uh, ingredients to be a great match, a great end to a feud. It was a barbed wire everywhere match for God's sakes. It was brutal and intense and you know what? Barbed wire isn't always for me. It doesn't so my wife was really excited to watch this match, and I was like, Re- really? Barbed wire doesn't really do it for me. When it explodes, it does, because I'm a sick you-know-what. But, uh, yeah, this already kind of subjectively is not for me, but I can understand that before all the shenanigans happened, I thought they were having a pretty good match. And then they ruin it with all this. For what? What? Are we going to have another match after this? We were told that this was the finale. This was the final match of the saga. Chris Jericho made it clear. Excalibur made it clear. By after the match, Eddie Kingston throwing Chris Jericho through that bump thing and with the barbed wire. Um, not nearly as much barbed wire as the stuff that uh, John Moxley and, and Lance Archer had. But who's comparing? Who's, you know, who's, who's uh, making, uh, who's comparing the two? However, yeah, I was really not a fan of this ending. I think, oh, it's like, oh, well, at least, you know, Eddie Kingston got his heat back by that thing. No, he didn't. Like, this was really crappy, and Eddie Kingston should have won. Really, Eddie Kingston should have won this feud, and my fear is that Chris Jericho won it because he is the next challenger for Jon Moxley, and I'm scared we're going to do that as a pay-per-view because it does not sound like Punk is going to be ready. If it's not Jericho, maybe it's Orange Cassidy. That's the hope, but he just lost that TNT Championship match, so I don't know where we're going with any of this, you guys. However, I'm here for the ride. I know you guys are here along for the ride as well. And I hope next week's Dynamite is a little bit better than this open face sandwich crap. Uh, With all that being said, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. And I will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the WWE Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show. Or head to WWEPodcast.com. And for all of these shows ad-free, head over to patreon.com slash WWE podcast. Until then, we'll see you next time.